Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Joining me today is... My good friend and podcasting partner Owen. Owen, how are you doing today? Uh, how's this week been for you? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, so Netflix dropped uh, new episodes of my favorite show yesterday, Lucifer. So I was up until five in the morning binging that. And uh, Roland Garros starts tomorrow, so I really couldn't be better. Perfect. That's great that you're done with your semester now, so you can actually chill and enjoy. Yes, it's wonderful. Your day. I'm sorry that you are not in the same position though. <laughs> Well, good. Um, but uh, yeah, um, our podcast part, our other podcast partner and editing master, Andre, is no longer is uh, not here with us this week. But uh, he will be back with us shortly, and we will all do more episodes as um, Rolling Garros continues on. So um, as we go into this, we're going to break this down a little bit for our listeners. We're going to start with um, a news item that occurred on Wednesday-ish um, is when this story dropped. And it's dropped on Wednesday, uh, a day before the draw was coming out. It was kind of a bombshell type uh, announcement. And you can probably all guess we're referring to female tennis star Naomi Osaka, who has um, decided that she's no longer going to do um, press conferences uh, at Roland Garros for the duration of the entire tournament. And so, yeah, this news took everyone uh, aback and it certainly made headlines um, in the larger world, um, outside of tennis as well. And I think uh, a lot of people have, have taken many different angles on this. So I just want to ask, uh, I, I want to ask you first, Owen, uh, you know, what were your first impressions when you heard the news? I had a lot of first impressions. I think it wasn't helped by the fact that this is an incredibly nuanced debate that has surfaced. I think there are a ton of good arguments on both sides. Some people agree, some people disagree, but I think there are so many uh, factors to consider here. So mm-hmm. I think my first reaction was that she cited that um, press conference. Actually, um, so, you know, before you hold your thought, because I actually want to read her entire statement um, before we, uh, you know, give our opinions on it. Yeah, because, yeah, I don't still want to parse any words. Um, and I want, I want this to genuinely come from her before yeah, we address the issue. So um, her statement reads the following. Hey, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. I'm writing this to say that I'm not going to do any press during Roland Garros. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. We've often sat there and asked questions that we've been asked multiple times before or asked questions that bring doubt into our minds, and I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. I've watched many clips of athletes breaking down after a loss in the press room, and I know you have as well. I believe that whole situation is kicking a person while they're down, and I don't understand the reasoning behind it. 
me not doing press is nothing personal to the tournament, and a couple journalists have interviewed me since I was young, so I have a friendly relationship with most of them. However, if the organizations think they can just keep saying, do press or you're going to be fined, and continue to ignore the mental health of the athletes that are the centerpiece of their cooperation, then I just got to laugh. Anyways, I hope the considerable amount that I get fined for this will go towards a mental health charity, XOXO, and then fingers and heart. Yes, uh, the fingers are a piece emoji. Um, yeah. So my, my very first reaction to this, uh, as a return to that question, is uh, from the sound of this, she, she says that um, she often feels that people have no regard for athletes' mental health. And so if we're assuming from that that she thinks press conferences are taking a toll on her mental health, then I think this is absolutely the right thing to do. Mental health is incredibly important. It's not given enough exposure or sort of weight in a lot of cases. And so I think if this is what she feels she needs to get into a better place mentally, then there's only one decision to make here and she made the right one. And uh, if we want to get right into some of the nuances of this, with that said, I think she said some things in in this statement that range between suspect to potentially even incorrect. Um, mm-hmm. The sentence that a couple of bits that sort of stuck out to me were, I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. And, um, and I believe that whole situation referring to athletes um, being questioned after a loss in the press room. Uh, I believe that whole situation is kicking a person while they're down and I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Um, so I take issue with a couple of things there. I think if, if athletes are being doubted, I like I don't I think that's inevitable really. And so I wouldn't necessarily describe being questioned by people like that as subjecting oneself to it. Um because no athlete is perfect. They're going to have losses. No one is the absolute favorite in every match that they play. Uh I mean, um like for example, Osaka is a fantastic player on hard court. She's the best hard court player on the WTA right now, a reigning Australian Open and US Open champion but she hasn't translated those uh, prodigious talents onto the clay just yet. And so I think if she's facing more doubt due to um, her play not being as good on clay as hard court, I think that's reasonable given that she isn't as good on clay as she is on hard court. And so I think of avoiding press simply because of that, and I'm not saying that's what she's doing here, but I think avoiding press just because of that is probably not a good idea. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so, but um, I don't want to go on for too long. Uh, what are your thoughts on that bit and the statement in general? No, I think you made a you made a good point. Um, I also took issue with that um, part of the statement about uh, bringing doubts into our minds because inevitably, um, whether you, you know, whether you like it or not, it is kind of part of the job to, um, you know, face the press after a tough defeat. And there, there's kind of, you know, you know, I take issue to some people who say like she's not doing her job. Because I think um, she is, she's just choosing to get fined, you know? So either you, exactly. yeah. you know, either there's option A, you do the match and then you go and you do press or there's option B, you play the match and then you just decide, okay, I'm no, uh, I'm not going to do press and you just take the fine. And I think, um, uh, you know, a lot of people see this as a bit spoiled from her, um, which I don't know if I entirely agree, but I think um, that's coming off the bat because um 
a day before it was announced that she made $55 million a year in endorsements. Obviously, 50 million of that, um, I mean, 55 total million dollars of money. And that includes the 5 million that she made on the court. But 50 million of that is from endorsements and a lot of, uh, a lot of attractive deals and sponsorship money. And I think um, the part that surprised me is that this statement is coming from, uh, from Naomi Osaka, because when I think of her, um, you know, I think of the reason how I was introduced to her in the game uh, itself. And I think what she's added value to the sport is just her, her personality, you know, the way she, um, the way she is so open with the press and media, she's very thoughtful in all of her answers. She's extremely funny and charming and relatable and uh, the relatability is what appeals to a lot of fans, not only in tennis, but also outside of tennis. There's many, many compilations on YouTube that you can find of, you know, really, uh, really sincere and wholeheartedly, uh, you know, press conferences where that were relatable to so many people where she, she, she opened up to the media. And you can always tell that there was, uh, you know, some, some sensitivity to it uh, with her because, you know, she was kind of shy and reserved early on in her career. But then as she progressed, she was, that was just a part of growing up and she matured. And, you know, obviously she took that, that stand um, last year, which we very much talked about on this podcast with the seven masks and um, social injustice and BLM um, related in America. And she took that stance and she was very vocal about that. But I think um, in, in this case, it's quite, uh, I'm just surprised that it's coming from, it's coming from Osaka and, you know, obviously mental health is a very, um, you know, valid thing. I don't want to discount that um, because mental health, there's a, there is a stigma around it and it's not talked about enough. And so I think um, her bringing up, bringing up mental health, but I also think that, um, you know, just the way that she worded it, it's not quite clear the, whether she's referring, whether it's because, you know, she doesn't want to be questioned about her clay results, you know, her being one and two on the season before getting into Roland Garros or whether there's an actual mental health concern. And so I think the the divide and that the way the statement is worded is a bit uh, what's causing the conflict. Conflicting yeah, points of view. That. And I think another thing that sort of stuck out to me is the bit about journalists creating doubt in athletes' minds. And I think mm-hmm. while that would definitely be a nuisance, that could be uh, mentally taxing, it could be frustrating, I think it's also important to state that it's not the job of a journalist to avoid that. It's the job of a journalist to get information that they can write about and share with fans, like in this case, tennis mm-hmm. fans. And so I think if a journalist is asking a question to Osaka or something and saying, you know, like your results on clay um, haven't been up to the standard of your results on hard court, why is that? Um, I think if that creates doubt in Osaka's mind about her abilities on clay, I don't necessarily think that that's the fault of the journalist, because I think there is reason to ask a question like that. Um, So I think in in a different case, like if, say, a therapist were creating doubt in someone's mind, I think that would be a major issue, because Mm -hmm. that's not the job. um, That's the opposite of a therapist's job. They're supposed to make you feel better. But I think it's not the job of a journalist to reassure an athlete. It's not the job of a tennis journalist to make a tennis player feel better about their ability, their abilities. It's the job of a tennis journalist to get information. And I think, and that is often frustrating to be on the receiving end of as Osaka notes here. And, and again, I think if it's reached the point where it's taking 
a toll on her mental health, then absolutely the right move is to back out here. And I'd also like to say that um, I have also seen some takes saying that this is a little bit spoiled, and I disagree with that. I think, look, she's undoubtedly mm-hmm. wealthy. We saw the numbers of how much she makes. But there is nothing wrong with spending money that you make. She deserves every penny that she's gotten. She's a spectacular tennis champion. She's got well-deserved in, uh, endorsements. And so, like, spending some of that money to get out of press conferences, I don't see a problem with that at all. Like, that money is hers. She's earned it. And... um and there's no problem with her spending it however she sees fit. Like, assuming it's not harming people, of course, and this is not. Um, something um, something I did say on Twitter is at the end of this statement, she says, anyways, I hope the considerable amount that I get fined for this will go towards a mental health charity. And so something I said on Twitter was that it could be nice if um, if she allocated some money towards maybe a fund for other players who are also being sort of mentally taxed by press conferences, but might not be financially secure enough to take the same path that Osaka is taking. And so this way they could um, they could have the resources to also back out. Because I think if if like she's saying, these press conference are press conferences are having an adverse impact on people's mental health, then I think it is totally legitimate and valid to back out of them if if that would help their mental health. So um, so I think that could be a really nice move for Osaka. And it would also um, sort of indicate that this um, is a larger issue and not just an isolated one. Yeah, definitely. It's very nuanced and it, it's, you can't isolate anything. But I would say that uh, um, something that that did kind of stick with me is the sweeping generalization of journalism in this, where I just think that, uh, you know, journalists as a whole you know, you can always pinpoint one or two journalists in press conferences that that are more daring in the way they ask the questions, you know, so that maybe it's, you know, like in the British media, if you've ever watched that clip with Johanna Conta, yeah, I watched when that she, you know, when, and the way she dealt with that was just, look, uh, you're patronizing me, I don't want to answer this question. And I just think that, um, you know, Osaka, like, the the reason why it was so left field is also just because, um, you know, there's other ways you can go about this, you know, than just saying, I don't want to do press conferences. You know, you, th- there's other ways to give that hint to journalists or to, you know, s- tackle the situation in the moment, you know, when, the, when you're asked that question of just like, you know, I, you know, I don't want to answer this or you can just, you know, flat up just not comment. And, and then, you know, well, you know, journalists need that story and they'll, they'll get a hint and they'll, you know, next time you ask them those, like, those kind of questions. And we have seen that, you know, journalism in, in tennis after in the, the people who get the press credentials, you know, there's many different kinds of people that get those credentials. There's people who are just covering, you know, that one event and then they're off to the next sporting event. And, you know, maybe that's their gig for that week. And then there's other journalists who are full-time tennis journalists and this is what they do and they're paid by accredited organization like New York Times or something like that. And then there's, there's actual fans who dig into the analysis and, you know, they, they factor those press conferences into their match analysis reports or things like that. And they're, you know, more regular hardcore tennis fans. So I guess there's different, there's different kind of journalists, but to just make the sweeping generalization, I think it's a little bit broad and, uh, um, and, you know, there's not that many, cases where Osaka has been treated that unfairly in these press conferences. I'm saying this as somebody who's watched her press conferences, you know, very regularly since 2018. 
because mm-hmm. I just find them so entertaining. <laughs> and so I just think, uh, I just think, and she's treated pretty nicely by a few, she mentions a few of the journalists and, you know, those few journalists have always been with her, you know, side. And even the ones who are the Japanese journalists, you know, she's often, if you watch her press conferences, she often uh, is asked the question in Japanese and then she takes a long time to process it and give a thoughtful answer. And she actually does that in English. And then the Japanese journalists have to go back and kind of understand her jokes and see what she's saying. And so that she, they can, they can properly frame it. And so I just think, um, uh, so I do feel bad for some of those Japanese journalists that probably had uh, had to get there and cover her, but then you know are are hit with this bombshell news. But I think I, I think also larger picture, um, I, I guess it it will get more people talking about uh, the way press conferences are done. I don't know if I don't think it'll necessarily lead to a major reform in 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 that sense because you can't just say okay we need more credible journalists, because I don't think that's the solution. There are plenty of credible journalists already. It's just, how are we getting those accreditations? Accredit? How are we getting like journalists accredited? You know, like, like how, what is the criteria? Like, how can we be more transparent about that? You know? So like, for instance, people who do podcasts for a living in tennis and, you know, they're potentially, you know, I've been covering, or have been doing a lot of podcasts for the last five years or writing a lot of articles and blogs and things like that. Like us one day, like, like you yourself or us one day, or people that we know on Twitter, like, you know, um, Gil Gross, for example, or uh, Alex Gruskin from Crack Rackets, whom we've had on this show. And so we can verify that they've, you know, been hardcore tennis fans for a while. And so, you know, who gets those press credentials and how is that process done? I think that can be better um, explained and more transparent. What do you think? Yes, I agree. And so I will say first, yes, Osaka generalizes. Um, the problems with the press are not like permeated in all parts of it. But with that said, she makes a lot of good points as well. I mean, mm-hmm. like you, some people have referred to these issues as scattered, but like you can just go through and find stupid questions asked by tennis journalists and just list them. There are compilations yeah. of them on YouTube. You can see people walking out of... Um, press conferences, uh, crying, like shaking their heads. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know that one with a, a Mahout where um, the journalist didn't even know if he had won or lost his match and got it wrong. Yeah, that's um, very So that, there, there are just so many examples like that. And so I think if, if Osaka's statement here were to spark some reform, that could be a great thing. Because like, it's not, it's not as if individual members of the press are incompetent, I think. It's just that I don't think the standard is incredibly high for questions Mm. and so i think and and look some of that is due to the fact that players don't give a lot away they don't enjoy talking about their tactics because that could potentially be used against them uh some players aren't chatty with the press some players don't trust the press but a lot of that is down to the press itself because if you've shown yourself to be untrustworthy or asking questions too harshly maybe or trying to be too intrusive then I think it's going to have an adverse effect on how players respond to your questions and rightfully so. So I think if this were to um, cause journalists to maybe pay a bit more attention, like how are my questions affecting players? Can I ask this more tactfully while still extracting the knowledge I want to extract? Uh, Little things like that. I think everything starts with small changes and maybe that could happen here and that could be for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's tricky for the journalists too, because they have to get that information, but also they're conscious of how the um, athlete might feel about it and how 
what kind of response that would trigger from them. So that's definitely um, something that journalists have to find uh, a balance to. And because, you know, stories do get written every day. And, you know, even if Osaka doesn't do press, I'm sure, you know, journalists will have a lot to write about and cover and we'll get to hear yeah. from her in on-court interviews, hopefully. It's just funny because if she wins the whole tournament, you know, is she yeah. going to do a press conference or not? And then I just don't know what direction this is headed in because, okay, you boycott the press for one tournament. But now next time you're you're back in press, you're going to be asked constantly about, you know, that boycott or right. that's going to co- in- inevitably come up over and over again. And you can already see players are being asked about it. Ash Barty was asked about it. Um, you know, Nadal was asked about it. Shviantek was asked about it. And they all just said, it's, you know, part of the deal. It's part of the job. It's the obligation. I don't have anything against it. Sometimes it's tough after losses to come in and speak right what's on my mind and it's tough but i i get on with it and i don't take it too personally and so i think everybody just deals with it differently and you know this is one of those things i just wish it didn't impact her so much because i just i'm a big fan of her press conferences Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people in tennis are and generally and i think we've seen her grow and mature so well as a person and champion and you know it's all it's her right obviously and she's earned that money like you said you know i mean 55 million she's earned that money you know and i think the ironic part is that she's earned that money through all this press. So I think, and the other irony of this is that, uh, you know, her not doing press is creating so much more press that it's the biggest yeah. story before the tournament even starts, you know, that we're starting up the show with this announcement. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of her endorsements have also come from how great of a tennis player she is, but you, you are right that her press conferences have contributed to her image sort of. And mm-hmm. And it, it will be, I am interested to see um, what will happen in the future because, I mean, we can, we can speculate that she'll do press conferences in the future. I think it's very likely, but we don't know for sure when that's going to be, how long it'll be. Um, so I think I'm, I think it's going to be intriguing. Like say when she does press conferences on hard court and um, will, will her responses vary or will her um, right. mental health vary based on the surface she's playing on? Because I, it is possible that maybe it's partially due to the surface that she's playing on as well as the questions that the journalists are asking. And maybe it's not, but I am interested to see how this will unfold over the coming weeks and months mm-hmm. and to see how she does in this tournament as well. And I think it is quite, quite interesting as well that the story has gotten so big because you would think a main narrative going into this tournament would be, you know, Nadal chasing down potentially number 21, but this has sort of taken over tennis Twitter and much of the tennis world as well. And I think, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because Osaka is a really big figure in tennis. This is, as we said, a really nuanced conversation. There are a lot of points on each side. I mean, I think our discussion has mostly centered around criticisms of her statement, but again, like she makes a lot of great points on top of mental health being important, obviously. Like yeah. there are issues with the press, there have been insensitive questions. And so like, and this isn't something that players tend to do. So who knows, maybe the answer is to back out um, for a couple of weeks and not answer questions. And if that helps, then like keep doing it. So so I, I think there are just so many angles to look at this from. You can look at it from a player's perspective or a fan's perspective or a journalist's perspective. And so there are just so many different ways this debate can turn. And so I think that's that's a like a really legitimate reason why it's gotten so big. But yeah, yeah. like I, I also hope from the perspective of a selfish fan that once the tournament starts, uh, we'll mostly talk about the tennis. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I remember tweeting that, look, I mean, this is the story right now, but tomorrow the draws are coming out and everybody's going to be focused on that. And everyone's going to, you know, the, the tennis will inevitably, it just adds another layer of complexion to Osaka now in this tournament and another layer of intrigue, actually, you know, how does this, uh, you know, strategic move by her, if you want to call it that, if you're taking that angle, you know, how, how does that help pay off for her in the long run and also in the short run at, at this tournament where, you know, I guess this is a good time to look at the draw now because yeah, you know I mean we can we can yeah. talk all we want about about this and this could have, this could have been as a, its own podcast but I think um, if we combine it with the tennis it's even better. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. And we usually start from the top of the draw, but since we've been talking about Osaka and she's right on the bottom as the number two seed, do you want to start from the bottom and then work our way off quarter by quarter? Yeah. So while we're talking about Osaka, actually, you know, she was due to play Allison. She was due to have a seated player, Allison Risk, in her section, but Allison Risk had withdrawn from the tournament. So now her draw is actually slightly harder than it was originally. But if we look at the players in that bottom half of the section, she's the number two seed. Um, As I mentioned, she's never been past the third round of Rowan Garros Um, before in her career. She's made the third round three times. And, you know, we know that she lost to Bukova in Madrid, and we know that she lost to Pigula at Rome. And she won one match before in Madrid. But uh, her first round opponent, you know, is Patricia Maria Tig. Um, I think that's a match that if she's on her game, she'll, you know, she should be able to overpower this opponent. Um, but that being said, it, you know, no matches, every match is kind of tricky for her um, on the surface to, yeah. to navigate. And it's going to be, it's, you know, the players in her section, like Bedosa is in her section and Bedosa has had uh, a great season so far, mm-hmm. um, you know, reaching the semifinals of Madrid and also winning in Belgrade her first title yeah. where she dropped just 20 games and route to the title and was a pretty decent field there for a 250. So, um, you know, she's definitely one that I think Osaka, if she were to get to the third round, that would be her, that would be a great test to see, you know, how much has she progressed on clay in the last few seasons. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, I so, guess so. Those yeah. two could play each other in the third round. If yeah. if we look at Osaka's draw in in the first and in the second round, I think th- there's no one who, if she's on her game, should mm-hmm. trouble her in theory. But like you said, every um, every match she plays on clay is is tricky or potentially could be tricky because it's not necessarily that her ground strokes are, are less penetrating or that's not her, her main difficulty. Her main struggle is the movement. Uh, it's hard for her to slide on clay. Other players are more proficient at it. And if you can't slide on clay, it's harder to change direction. Players are going to find it easier to wrong foot you to hit winners past you. And that's something that will affect you against all opponents. Yeah. And, and also they'll be able to blunt her. There are more players who will be able to blunt her power. I think on the surface yeah. with that movement. Right. And, and yeah, yeah, this is clay. So, um, so like her, her ground strokes will have less power. It'll be easier to defend against them. Her serve will have uh, less of an impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly though, her game is good enough that it, it, if it's on, she'll still be able to beat a lot of opponents. Her serve might be the best in women's tennis right now up there with Serena and Barty. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, her forehand is world-class backhand is world-class. And so just, just through attacking tennis, I can see her beating a lot of players. But the problem with um, with having trouble with movement is that it puts more strain on the rest of her game. Because if you're not able to defend really well, then that just puts more pressure on you to stay on the offensive. That could force you to spray errors if your uh, opponent is defending well. Could make you lose patience. 
And so I think, I think mentally it's going to be really, really difficult and really, really important for her to um, sort of stay centered and remember, like, even if her opponent is defending well, like hit with margin, uh, keep them running around, stay patient in the rallies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also her first round opponent is, um, we should say is, is a pretty good one as well. She, she won in Istanbul uh, last year before the French Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, won a title there, knocked off Bouchard in the final, who was in resurgent form, and then got to the third round herself, where she played a really close match against Fiona Farrell. So, um, you know, there's no easy match matches here. And so I think, yeah. uh, but but I think if she were to ask for a good draw, I think this is a good one, at least for the first two matches. Definitely. And then and then I just, um, you know, the Bedosa is, is the match for me that I just, um, Bedosa is a player who is, really come to life um, during the clay court season with her. Uh, she's got a great cross court backhand. I absolutely love that shot from her. And yeah. she has, she has shown that she can move extremely well on the surface. Um, she can, she's got such good depth and stuff on her ground strokes when I'm from the matches that I've seen. And she's got uh, intensity and service. Her serve is pretty good. And I would say it's, it's quite um, Maria Sharapova-esque the way she can, she can slide and move. And when Maria learned how to play on clay, you know, a few years before uh, the last few years of her career, especially. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. that improvement was amazing. Everyone knows that uh cow on ice quote. And then she ends up winning uh, two Roland Garros titles. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I think another thing Bedosa has on her side is, is confidence because like you said, she's had a really good clay season, um, like semifinal at Madrid, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's that's a big result and winning that many matches in a row plus a title on clay yeah. is is going to give you confidence which osaka doesn't have she's won just one match so far in the clay season and so if, if she makes it to bedosa uh bedosa is going to have more momentum uh she'll be more confident and and that's a big weapon to have so it is so yeah. so i think that that could be quite an interesting match and if osaka gets through that maybe that could be the spark she needs to potentially get through a couple other rounds more rounds. yeah and then, you know, if we look at the top half of that quarter, you know, we do have some players there, like, um, with tricky first rounds, seated players that, you know, may not get there as well. Like, um, yeah. Belinda Bencic, I think, has a very interesting first round against uh, Maria Podoroska. And I could easily see that being an, an upset alert uh, for Bencic. Yeah. Uh, just doesn't seem so comfortable on the clay. And uh, Podoroska has been having great results as of late. And obviously, semifinalist last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the big question mark for me, I don't know about you, but is Andrescu, you know, because she played those two matches in uh, this week in Strasbourg, but then pulled out. And I yeah, just what, don't know where she's at injury. Related. Yeah. Yeah. And that, she's the number uh, six seed, six I should seed, say. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, that was framed as sort of a cautionary measure, but the injury that was cited was an ab tear. And that doesn't seem like the kind of injury that, um, that you sort of, uh, I don't know. It, it seems like something that could knock you out of Roland Garros, but yeah, the way it was framed was sort of as like a minor injury that she didn't want to ag- aggravate. And so I really, really hope that no matter how she does in the tournament, she goes out because she loses to someone, not because an injury has taken her out. Um, so I, I would, I would love to see her get through a couple rounds and I think she has a pretty decent draw. Um, until yeah, I mean, when she's healthy, you know, she yeah. wins most of her matches. So that's yeah, I, the... I mean, and and I think if she is healthy, I don't see her losing to anyone really in the first three rounds. Um, a, a, after that, it'll get trickier. But yeah, I think 
I think this section is a pretty good one to be in. I mean, you look at another first round here, you have Johanna Conta, the 19th seed, and uh, Serrano Cersea, who has uh, who's won a title on clay pretty recently. And so I think that could be another seed that could go out early. Um, you have Anna Samova, who hasn't been in great form, but she's she's unseated. She's always really dangerous. She's got a really high ceiling, so that could be another name. That And she plays uh, Kudermitova in the first round, who I think actually um, a lot of people... Um, are overlooking and actually many people have cited her as a potential threat uh, because yeah. you know she's had a great season as well she won her first title which was a 500 on clay in charleston um and so she is playing anisimova yeah that's a very that's a popcorn match in that section i would say for Definitely. anybody uh you know watching because anisimova is a very promising player and um still only 19 years old mm-hmm. and she, she's a semifinalist two years ago and uh, so she's, but uh, she struggled a little bit as of late um, since, since then, but nonetheless, it's a great first round, I'd say. Yeah. And it's just uh, tricky in that section to know who's going to get out of it because of that Andrescu thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is always tricky. But if you were to say, uh, who do you think is getting out of that quarter? Uh, who do I you think that thinking. quarterfinal match will be? This is so hard to pick because the two highest seeds in that section are Osaka and Andrescu. And I don't have a ton of confidence in either one right now, Osaka, because she doesn't have um, a great track record on clay and Andrescu because I just don't know how her body is going to hold up. So mm-hmm. if we're assuming, and I mean, and then you have Bedosa, who I think it, she's in Osaka's section, so she's got a chance to go deep. But I don't know if I have enough faith in her in majors yet to pick her to mm-hmm. win this section. Um, so if we're under the assumption that Andrescu is fit, then I think she'll make the quarterfinals, but yeah, that's quite an assumption. And so I don't know <laughs> if I want to go with that. So geez, I, I guess maybe Bedosa, but this is, this is really hard to pick. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, so but I do actually have Bedosa getting to the quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think she'll knock out. I have Osaka getting to the third round and then uh, losing to Bedosa. Yeah, I, I and then have that as well. Um, the other seed in that section was Kiki Burton's, but I don't think she's in great form right now. So I yeah, actually she, have she her in the round of thirty-two, I think, in Madrid. Uh, straight sets right. to uh, Kudermatova. Correct. Yeah, and she's coming off of like an Achilles injury that she's still gaining form from. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I just uh, I have. Uh, Pedosa beating Von Drusova in the fourth round. Okay. Um, because Von Drusova is another one that's very good on this surface. She has the pedigree, at least. She got to the finals two years ago. Yeah. And and, and a lot of people have forgotten about that, um, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I, I honestly wouldn't be opposed to picking Kudermatova here because if, if she can stay solid, and, and she's got a nice section. So if she plays well and Andrescu isn't fit, I think she could make it at least to the fourth round because she's had a pretty good play mm. season so far in Madrid. She lost to Kvitova in a tight three sets round of 16. Absolutely no shame in that. And then in, in Rome, she lost to Bardi in straight sets, but like Bardi is the favorite to win this whole thing. And there she was, um, she only served at 49% and she was one for seven on break points. So it seems like that match right. could have been closer. And so, um, yeah, so, so I think she would have a good chance to, make it through a few rounds and maybe even to the quarterfinals. I'm going to be bold and also say Kazakina will win a few matches. I think uh, she's won a couple of titles this year. She's been a little on and off, but I think uh, this is a chance where she can go a little under the radar and maybe 
uh, you know, if like for instance, if Benchich loses um, to Podoroska, then she has a bit of an opening. That's uh, true. But yeah. but uh, is a good pick, actually. I think um, it, it's between Kurumatova and Andrescu for me. Uh, who is going to face Bedosa? Uh, Bedosa in the quarters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it's up for for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll say. Um... I'll make a prediction based on hope rather than expectation. I'll say Andrescu is fit. She makes mm-hmm. um, she makes the fourth round. Um, but also makes the fourth round, and then um, and then Andrescu wins. You mean in the quarters? Oh yes, for Andrescu. Yes. Um, wait, yeah. So th- this is this is a quarter, yeah. right? So so Andrescu, so, so Andrescu would, Andrescu would, would win the quarter. Yeah. Okay. So you have her getting to the semi then. Um, but do you think she'll beat Bedosa in the quarters? Because I'm also um, going to go with that assumption that she's... Oh, right, right. Sorry, this is... Yeah, th- this is um, in my head, since this is a quarter of a draw, I thought that decided a quarter finalist, not a semifinalist. Um, yeah, actually, okay, I might revise my prediction because uh, five matches is a lot in a row for Andrescu to win. Um, yeah. But without a physical injury, so... So yeah, I, okay. I, I guess I'll say like if she's fit, she makes the semis. If she's not, uh, Bedosa makes the semis. Nice. Um, yeah, I would say. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I pick. But I I, I think uh, Andrescu will find some struggle along the way, either health related, injury related, and during a match. I mean, her matches tend to be not so straightforward. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I know, mean, she's better than straight... a- almost everyone, but she gets taken to three sets a lot. She gets taken to three sets a lot. Favors. Yeah, and even life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And and I would think um, it would be better in a day where she has the day off, um, you know, uh, to recover from these matches. But then, but then again, also, um, she's never she's only played three total matches on clay, which is insane. But like, yeah, um, you know. So I'm gonna say Kudermetova gets there, and we have a Kudermetova and um, Bedosa quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna say Bedosa makes her first semifinal. Yeah, I, I think that's a good pick, and and that would be my pick as well if Andrescu mm-hmm. uh, has an injury or doesn't make it out of the yeah. first couple of rounds. So, yeah. yeah, and Shall just we... God bless Andrescu is healthy because yeah, I don't let's... want to see a WTA Del Potro. I really don't. Oh so. my gosh, that's that comparison makes me sad. Um, she, I mean, does, she's young, yeah. so let, let's hope it doesn't happen. But I don't want to see the account that's on Twitter. Getting uh, right, did, did Andrescu super busy? It's so yeah. sad that, that <laughs> account should not be able to exist. Yeah, yeah, poor, right. poor uh, Shall we move on to yeah. um, the second? Yeah, session? we should. So, in this quarter, um, it's headlined by Serena Williams, who's the number seven seed, and she's realistically just looking to get in a few matches and some reps before the grass and the hard courts. And she plays Begu in the first round, and 
um, you know, same same kind of deal with like uh, Serena is, I guess, with um, with uh, with Osaka, and that we don't have super high hopes for her to go super far in this tournament. Um, but I would say that she's she could win a couple of matches here with her draw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Buzarnescu is pretty tough also in the second round on on clay romanian and uh, yeah. and then i mean kerber's not been doing well but yeah she could get serena in the third round yeah i'm gonna say we have a danielle collins upsets kerber yeah I, um that, that's to get point. to the third round and i think serena will actually get to danielle collins i think we'll get to see that match hopefully serena and danielle collins in the third round third round okay yep yeah i'm not sure who wins it though but yeah. um if we I go mean, to the yeah, I, I think we have to talk about who's at the bottom of this section, which is uh, Irina Sabalenka, who has, right, yes. who's had an amazing year and an, an amazing play season. She um she won Madrid. Uh, she made the final of Stuttgart. Uh, her and Aspardi have had a really nice rivalry um th- this clay season um mm-hmm. and 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 this year as well because they had um a nice tight match in in Miami as well. Uh, all three of their yes. matches have gone to um. All three of their matches in the stretch have gone to three sets. Uh, there have been a couple bagels in there, one for each player. And Sabalenka won their Madrid final with just an outstanding run of play right at the end of the match, won the last 11 points, I think. And in Rome, she lost to Goff in the round of 16. But even though that mat- that tournament plays closer to Roland Garros conditions than Madrid, I don't put a lot of stock in that loss because um, she was just coming off a tournament win. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and she's also, the number she three seed played, here. Uh, so, sorry? yeah, she is the number three seed, and you know, yeah. many people have her as the third favorite here. Yeah, um, like, so, sorry, did you say not many people have her as the third? Favorite? Uh, no, many people do. Yes, so. yes I, I would agree with that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, she's been playing great tennis. I think she's going to be really confident. Um, she's for me the pretty clear favorite to make make the semis in the section, although. It's definitely not without players who can trouble her. Um, the always dangerous Kvitova is uh, in the middle as the 11th seed. Those two could play in the quarters, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then Kvitova Azarenka is there who could get Sabalenka in the fourth round. Yeah. I mean, Kvitova is semifinalist last year at Roland Garros. Obviously, Clay not her best service, but she's in that Serena Williams top half section. Mm-hmm. But if we look at the bottom half section, I mean, Sabalenka... Um, I I do have a lot of faith in her actually to get to get out of this quarter, but my only thing would be the first round opponent against. It's brutal, yeah. uh, Kanyu, because Kanyu is another player who had a lot of success three or four years ago, but had a lot of surgeries and injuries and setbacks. And this year, I mean, she's played great tennis. She knocked off Sviantek in Miami, and I watched that yeah. match where she hit forty winners. And just uh, knocked Triantek off the court, which we know is not easy to do. And then, you know, she's had a great clay season as well. So, and, and she qualified. So she yeah. has the, she has the, she's gotten used to the conditions. She's won three matches here. And so that's not an easy first round opponent. And Sabalenka does have some pressure and target on her, uh, on her back to at least get past the fourth round, which she hasn't done yet. Yeah. So I do think, assuming she gets past the dangerous Kanyu, who I think she is at, at a point in her career where she can navigate through a, a match like that. Mm-hmm. I do have her getting all the way to the quarters. Um, Azarenka and Kuznetsova in the first round is an interesting one. Uh, for sure, they're both two-time Grand Slam champions. And um, while both are not at their peak, they're definitely capable of playing matches uh, uh, up there um, at, their, at, at or near their best um, for any given day. So that should be an interesting one. But mm-hmm. this section is... 
Um, yeah, I mean, I would say Sabalenka gets to the quarters. And now the question is, who does she play from the top half? And uh, how far does Serena get? Because I think um, I'm going to say Danielle Collins takes out Serena in the third round. And we had Danielle Collins against Kovitova. Yeah, I, I see Kovitova getting there. I think she has a good draw to get yeah, to the fourth that, round. I agree I with that. See that. Um, and then Collins and Kovitova. I would say Kovitova. I, I, I would say we get a Kovitova and Sabalenka quarterfinal. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. Um, and I, I hope that we could see um, a Sabalenka Azarenka match. I think that would be great. Um, yeah. And, and, and I do think on form, um, Sabalenka comes through that. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with your picks there. Okay, cool. And then I think um, I'm going to, I have Sabalenka getting to the semifinals against Bedosa. That's yep, my um, sad final for that. Topic. And I guess uh, since this is a half of the draw, we can pick who we think makes the final out of those two. So um, th- that'll be Sabalenka for me. I also have Sabalenka yeah. uh, in that section. So. Yeah, I think Bedosa has had a great clay season, but I'm not sure she's at the level to take out um, someone who's been playing as well as Sabalenka in a, a match that big yet. So, um, yeah. yeah, And I think Sabalenka has also been playing even better tennis than Bedosa. So I, I have her coming through that one probably in straight sets. Yeah, same. And I and I just think um I, I just hope we're not paying too we're not giving too much stock to the Madrid conditions because that definitely helped her. But she has also yeah, proven that she is can pretty similar to Madrid as well. So that she can problem solve um and win those three set matches that she wasn't winning earlier and scrap against opponents. And she has shown that mm-hmm. she's, you know, added a lot of those kind of elements to her game like plan B and C, yeah. which weren't there a year, a year or two ago. And so she's made those improvements. That makes me confident in her. And I think just the overall consistency, um, apart from Madrid, uh, granted, okay, she lost to Coco, she lost to Coco Goff, but that can that can happen. Those conditions are very different coming exactly. off Madrid. And, so I, and I would she say... just played uh, the mighty Sarah Cerebus Tormo in the previous round, so probably exactly. tired after that one. Definitely, definitely, no match against her is is easy at all. Yeah. So even though that one had a breadstick in it, that could not have been easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sarah Cerebus Tormos makes breadsticks difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, and uh, speaking of Sariva Stormo, uh she is in the next section, clearly the favorite to make it out of it, I would say. I'm I'm kidding, great. obviously. I know. Um <laughs> I know. I had to pause for a second just to see if you're Oh yeah, yeah. No, uh, don't worry. Wagon. Um <laughs> yeah, I think I mean in the section, the first player we have to talk about, even though I already mentioned Sariva Stormo, is uh Igos Fiontek. Um yeah. I mean she is an absolute clay court beast. She's the defending champion here at Roland Garros. She she just won Rome, absolutely blitzing um, Pliskova in the final. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's hard to sort of um, give her enough praise on the surface. Um, her game is really really well rounded. Sometimes the serve can have some yips, but her ground strokes are so polished. She hits such a heavy ball, and she's just so hard to beat when she's on her game. Um, like when, when yeah. she is playing well, I think out of any player in the draw, she's got the highest ceiling. I would agree with that. Yeah, I would totally echo that because, um, yeah, it's just, just insane, especially that match against Pushkova. I mean, yeah. and the problem solving that she's shown also because to get to to get there, she had to save match points in the fourth round. And yeah. so, um, and she's shown that she's uh, mentally strong enough now also. Um, she just seems super mature for her age. and. Definitely. I, I watched a little bit of her practice against Nadal today. 
<laughs> Fiontech and Nadal practicing together was a, yeah, was a good, delight to see. That. That's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. she is in this section with, um, she's in the top half of the draw with Ash Barty and they're both uh, co-defending champions, um, which is interesting because Barty didn't play last year. So that's why. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say, um, I wouldn't call Barty a defending champion, but she won it the last time she played it. Uh, we, we can. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I think, um, and I think a lot of people will refer back to the match uh, Sviantek and Barty played earlier in the clay season, which Barty won seven five six three, which mm-hmm. um, which is uh, f- fairly convincing. It's it's straight sets, but there are, oh so, sorry seven five six four. But there are also some details in that match where uh, Sviantek was up three zero in the first set. Um, in the game where she got broken at five all, she hit three double faults. So I'd say that match was closer than the score, definitely, and. Um, and she served at below 50% as well. So, yeah, I, I think this section has has so much intrigue. Um, sorry to generalize a bit to the top half there, uh, not just this quarter. But, I mean, I think it's not, even though I would say Sviantek is the favorite to get out of it, it's not the easiest quarter. Uh, I mean, Muguruza mm. is in there. Um, that That's really, really difficult. Um, yeah. uh, Maria Sakari is there. Uh, Jessica Pagula is there. Um, there, there are some tough names. Petra Martic is there. So, so I think if, um, if Sviantek is on her game, then she will come out of the quarter. Uh, but if, but if she's lapsing, there are definitely players who could take her out. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty good assessment. I would say the, the deciding match would be, I mean, if Muguruza got to the fourth round and played Sviantek, that could be a very consequent, that could be a very pivotal match for the tournament. Yeah, it's a little bit like Osaka and Muguruza at the Australian Open. Yeah, um, I, I could see that. Although um, although I think when Osaka won that one, she was a heavy favorite to go on to win the title. And I'm not sure Sviantek would be here, given that Ashbar yes. is the top of the draw. But I, I think it's close. Um, so. um, and then also, you know, just a little bit about Sviantek possible opponents. She plays Yuvan in the first round. Um I think that's a good first round match for her mm-hmm. that she should get through. And then, you know, possibly Shelby Rogers next. Um, Shelby Rogers is pretty decent quarterfinalist at the U S open better on hard yeah. courts though, than on clay for sure. Even though actually she's made a quarterfinal at the French open uh, herself. So, I mean, that's one of those where if Shivantek's on her game and playing, playing at the level, we know she can, then she'll win that mm-hmm. uh, for sure. And then, yeah, I mean, her, her seed is contivate and the, Third round, I um I I think she'll get through that, and then the her highest seed that in that section is actually Kennan, but Kennan has that popcorn match with Ostapenko, which right. honestly could go either way. I I mean um, yeah, yeah Ostapenko is very interesting because she won the French Open in 2017 and then had two first round defeats the next two years and then got to the third round last year. So anything can kind of happen with Ostapenko. I mean, yeah, she's she's not someone who you ever want to play just because the potential, like yeah. there's always the potential that she she releases those uh, down the line winners, um, like it will. So, but then she can also have days where she might serve like five double faults in a game. Um, that would have to go to deuce, of course, but yeah. Um, so, so while that could be an easy one for Kennan, I still don't think it's a match she wants to play. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pick an upset there. I'm gonna say um, Kennan loses uh, in the first round. Okay, there. I'll pick Ostapenko to get that win. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because I mean, Kennan is the fourth seed, and she was a Roland Garros finalist last year, and yet it not been doesn't feel since. too relevant this year, does she? No. I think um, I think the odds that she 
makes the quarterfinals or even the semifinals are pretty low. Sorry, the yeah. semifinals or even the quarterfinals are pretty low. Um, and so it, it just shows you how much can change in a year. Um, yeah, a lot of things um, happened, um, you know, since that. I mean, she 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 lost six love six love to in Rome to Azarenka and then made the final last year, which was very impressive. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, since then, I mean, she's she struggled as of late, yeah. and uh, yeah, her form is uh, is a question at the beginning of the year when she lost to Kanepi in the second round, and uh, was in tears in her press conference. That's tough because she had to defend that Australian yeah, Open. That's that's definitely not an ideal title defense. And then she parted ways with her father, so that's also you know, something. And so she's getting used to a new team right now. And so, yeah, yeah a lot of question marks, but uh, if she can get through Ostapenko and find her footing, then, um, you know, she can make some noise maybe, but it's... Yeah, and maybe the fact that expectations aren't as high now as they were at the Australian Open, that could help her. Um, yeah, she could, but I just, yeah. it's tough for me to see another turnaround like this again, because there's just been consistently not great results this year. So I'm yeah, going to have um, Ostapenko get that upset. And then the question is, who gets out of that part of the draw with Muguruza I think, and whatnot? Yeah. Because yeah, Muguruza's section is actually not so easy either. I mean, Muguruza was coming off of an injury and hadn't played all clay court season. And then mm-hmm. she played in Rome and lost to Svitolina yeah. and uh, in a close match. And, possibly in the second round. Yeah, uh, that's a nightmare. And even uh, Kostiuk is not an easy first round at all. No, definitely so, not. Yeah, she, she's, she's not going to really be able to ease into the tournament. She's going to have to be good right away. Which is yeah, always a I little mean, intimidating. And Martich, Martich can really play on clay. So Definitely. that's, uh, ooh, yeah, um, Muguruza. And we don't know injuries where she's at right now. I mean, yeah, I, I would say she's in. She's been from what I've seen her practices. She's been looking good, but it's mm-hmm. you know that doesn't. Yeah, tell I mean, you much. it's it's tough to pick against her, uh, just yeah, considering who's in that section. But also, this is. I feel like. Um, I would not be surprised at all if she didn't make it out of that bit because I feel like there's a lot of potential on display for an upset here. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I think if I had to say, I, I see a match between Sviantek and Muguruza with Sviantek winning. And then in, in the mm-hmm. upper bit of this section, um, maybe I, I see Pagula doing pretty well. Um, I think, I think Sakari could also do well. So maybe, so, so those two could play in, in the quarters. Oh, Pegula, and that would be a fourth and round. Sakari. The, the fourth round? Oh, right, right. Yeah, so I, yeah. so I would say those two in the fourth round, and then I'll say, geez, this is tough. They had they had quite the match in Miami. Um, mm. So I'll say Sakari wins that, and then um, Sviantek beats Sakari uh, to make the semis. Nice. So you have Sakari getting there. That's uh, that's interesting because I always kind of put Mertens and Sakari and Contivate and all of them in kind of the same bunch because they're all born 1995 to 1996. And they're yeah. all kind of, yeah, just, you know, they have that ceiling where they're just there like third, fourth round every time. Mm-hmm. And they, they're showing up every week and very consistent and hard to bet that they're going to lose early, but at the same time, hard to bet they're going to go super far. You know what I mean? It is, and so, yeah, but I, I do think um, Sakari has a pretty kind straw. And so I think, um, I think if she could get through Mertens um, mm-hmm. or, yeah, that's or the match, the Mertens. Early, then, then she could really go deep. Yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Sakari as well. I'm going to say Sakari beats Mertens in that third round match. Yeah. That, that'll, um, that'll be an important one. 
Yeah, and then Pagula. Yeah, Pagula is interesting also because she hits the ball very flat, but she's found out a way to adjust her court position and returns, and she's she she's not let that hinder her. And her ball yeah, striking maybe is pretty she good. Should coach Medvedev. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Pagula Medvedev coaching pairing suggested Absolutely. by one of those. I, mean, I, I think he needs it. <laughs> if um, <laughs> yeah, if if Pagula somehow some way he loses in this tournament before Medvedev, maybe he can hire her for the rest of the week. Yeah, that would that would totally be a story that would. Yeah, I mean it, it's not, not going to happen. Not this <laughs> first, but fun to joke about. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I would also have, um, and I don't want to agree with you on everything. That's not fun. Too <laughs> oh, smart. That's it. No, I'm kidding. Um, there's <laughs> so many of my predictions are going to be wrong. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Because like these seeds just never pan out the way they're supposed uh, to. I know, I know. It's like you look at them in the draw, and it it feels like you should be really confident. And so like sometimes I do feel confident when I'm making picks, and then the matches just start happening, and you're like, no, it's <laughs> half the fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I but I have to agree. I have Shvantec getting out of the quarter, so okay. I will say Shvantec will uh, get past Muguruza in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And then the question is just, will she play? Uh, I already said Sakari will be in the fourth round. And I guess yeah. her opponent, yeah, I mean, Pagula is a good pick. I can't really disagree much with that. Although, if, yeah, if Ostapenko can just like win another match. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to disagree with me, just say Ostapenko like goes on I, a rampage and wins the quarter. I, I don't have her faith. I don't have faith in her to sustain that level. Yeah, yeah. Again, like it's, yeah, I will say, I will say Pagula takes out Ostapenko. In the third round, and we have a Pagula Sakari. Geez, that's what you predicted too. Okay, yeah, but, I'll just I mean, I'll go it, with that it, too. It would be a great fourth round. I mean, I'd love to see that. I would. Um, it'd be quite the rematch. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll let you go first for the last section, um, <laughs> so, so that I can uh, I can look bad and copy your picks. No, no. I mean, I mean the the thing is, it's it's good because it's like, yeah. I mean, if Sakari can play at that level. I mean, I think she can outlast Martin. She definitely has the ability to outlast Martins. And then the question is just who does she, if Ostapenko can just keep being hot, which is so hard to predict. And so, yeah. I mean, and I was re- I'm really impressed with Sakari mentally. I mean, this is on hard court, but the match she played to beat Osaka, I thought, um, I mean, she, she peaked for a set and bageled her. And then late in the set, when it got complicated, she ended up breaking serve after being down 40 love. And so, and then she saved all mm-hmm. those match points against Pagula. Um, and uh, sorry, that was that was before, right? In an earlier match, but um, but like mentally, she's um, she's been really impressive. And so I think in those um, third, fourth round matches, it that makes me want to back her. Definitely, yeah. So yeah, I'll, I will I will I will agree with you on the bottom half, and I'll say Shviantek yeah gets the semis, um, beating Sakari in the quarters. Okay, and the top half. Um, Ash Barty, number one seed, and players in her seated to meet her, I guess, would be um, Ons Jabor in the third round. Yep. And then uh, Coco Goff or Jennifer Brady in the fourth round. Yeah, for me, Brady is going to be interesting to follow because yes, her definitely. game should suit the clay, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure why the results haven't entirely come yet, and she's also parted ways with her coach who helped get her to you know semifinals of... U.S. Open and Australian Open final. Yeah. So 
She's yeah, definitely and, done well in the last two majors, but this one. Yeah, is... and I think it's going to be tough because she could get um she could get Fiona Farrow in the second round, right? Yeah, and yeah, then Sevastova in the first round is yeah, that, that's absolutely not an brutal. Easy. I mean, that's that's really tough. And and if Brady isn't playing well, I think Farrow could absolutely mm-hmm. win a few rounds or make it out of that section. Yeah, I would say Coco Goff pulls off a big upset and beats. I mean, it's not even really a big upset, but she'll beat Brady in the third round. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, Goff did so well in Rome. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think it would follow from that. Yeah. Um, when you said huge upset, I thought you were going to pick her to beat Vardy. And I was like, that's interesting. I, yeah, won't, yeah. I won't copy that. But yeah, I, I see Goff making the fourth round as well, um, continuing yeah, her, her really, I, really strong study improvements. I like her forehand on the clay because she's got. Um, she's giving it that extra loop and top spin that really helps her uh, on the clay and she's using yeah. the drop shot effectively and she's serving bigger and the double faults seem to have gone away from what I saw in Rome at least for the time now yeah and I mean, um, her backhand is strong no matter what the surface yeah um, no matter what and yeah. her her movement I think it's she can really move on the surface and get so many yeah. balls back and frustrates her opponents and she's just maturing in the right direction and she's really made improvements impressive and and on the double faults when when she was playing Barty, i think um she made a couple of them in like a four or five game in the first set but um she was going for like big second serves and a lot of them worked and so the double faults that she did hit were sort of like calculated losses and Mm -hmm. um like she she's a brave player she goes for her shots um and so so yeah i i think if she can string some wins together and if um like if Barty were to lose, Goff could make the quarters. For sure, yeah, I, I agree with that. I I I have Barty beating her in the fourth round yeah, and getting to the I quarters. And uh, the bottom section, I'm gonna go with Carolina Mukova. Um, okay. To get to knock out Pushkova mm-hmm. in the third round, um, I see Pushkova getting to the third round. Oh, actually, you know what? Scratch that. Oh, Sloan Stephens is in that <laughs> So I'm going to say Sloan Stephens takes out Pushkova. Okay. Um, that's going to be my upset in that section. Yeah, Carlos Suarez Navarro is back. That's a good first round. That's yeah. good to see. And, and she's and cancer it's, free. It's so good to see. Yeah. Like, what a so, fighter. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then and then I have Sloan Stephens would play Mukova, right? So I have. Um, mm. I do have Mukova. I do have Mohova uh, beating Stephens in the third round. So I have Mokova in the fourth round. And mm-hmm. then the question is Svitolina, you know. Right. Uh, I, I think Svitolina will get there for sure. Um, I don't see anybody in her section, if she's playing solid, yep. that could really trouble her. Although uh, a name to watch out in this section, she's unseated and she just won a title this week. Uh, Barbora, Barbora Krejcikova from the Czech Republic. She's... Mm-hmm done really well now in singles made the finals of dubai uh, earlier in the year she knocked she almost beat fiontek she had two match points against fiontek in rome in the fourth round and then just won a title yeah, today no beat beat, yeah. beat kirstea so even though she's unseated i think she's in the top 40 in the world and she's just missed being unseated so that's no player that you want to face right now yeah and she's got a pretty nice draw for at least the first two rounds so yeah uh, poor venus williams though she's, yeah yeah it's it, it's tough to see her winning a match, I have to say. Yeah. So so I have Svitolina and uh, Mokova in that section. Okay. And now this is where it gets interesting because Svitolina on paper should win this match. But, but, but Mokova 
she has a she has a good level and a peak that's yeah. that's pretty high like she can yeah uh she's shown that when she is at her best she can she has the variety almost like an ash party 2.0 but just a little bit more limited you know mm-hmm. and she took out party at the australian open in the quarters from a set down and uh, you know almost was almost made the australian open final and so and mukova can definitely play on the on the clay as well she had a good result in madrid um and she's done well overall uh in slams against top seeds so yeah. that's why i would pick her against Svitolina for the upset. Okay. I, and I, I have Mohova in the quarters. Svitolina and Rome. Yes, I did. I, I had her getting to the final. Uh, I had her beating um, I had her beating Sviantek in the quarters. I, I remember and, talking to you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and, that was one of the rare times I get a prediction over you. Nah, you're I mean, like, yeah. I, it's 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 tough. I don't think I ever get WTA pretty predictions very well. So it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's, I it's guess if um I guess both of us will either be right or both of us will fail here because our predictions have been so similar. I mean, I will, um, I will differ slightly here. Um, Yes, please do. (laughs) I mean, I I feel like Pliskova will do pretty well. I think. um, Yeah. I mean, like, yes, she got absolutely crushed by Sviantek, but she did make the room final. And so I think that, Mm. so going off that, I think she'll make, she'll get through a few rounds here. So I think she'll get past Stevens. Um, Okay. And then I think we're going to have a, like, I'm so bad at reading these draws. Would it be a third round between Pliskova and Mukova? Um, that would be a, yes, that would be a third round between okay. Pliskova and Mukova. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, um, so even though Pliskova is favorite uh, with the seeds, I think it would be an upset if Pliskova won, but I'll, I'll go with that. I'll say Pliskova upsets Mukova. Um, and okay. um and then I think um, so that would put her. Wait, in... Pliskova upsets Mukova. Okay, yeah, because based on yeah, yeah, based on okay. how, um, based on level. Um, and then I think in the bottom of that section. Um, yeah, I see. Nice. This is this is really tricky. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that, that's I think... good. We have a, we have a good disagreement there between uh, Stephens and Pliskova. So yeah. that's that, that's a good one there. Yeah. Um I, so I, I think we'll have Svitolina and Pliskova then in Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. The two um, best players have not won a major. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, two of them, yeah. And then I mean I feel I feel like I'm making a massive mistake here, like going big <laughs> on Pliskova. But I'll say Pliskova gets through that. It's All her right. time. Um but then but then Barty takes her out. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good pick. I so yeah, I have um Mukova in the semis against oh no no I have Mukova in the quarters, yeah, against uh Barty. Uh-huh. Uh because I had Mukova taking out um Svidalina. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I will say um I'll say Barty beats Mukova, gets revenge for the quarterfinal at the Australian Open. Okay. Yeah. That's that, a rematch. That would be a really nice rematch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then then we have the Bardish Fiontech semifinal. Yeah, and so the, now we have our final two semis. before the final. Some might say, and our two semis are the same. So, yeah, man, this is this is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> our so, two semis so, are the same. So I said Sabalenka would make the final over. Um, yeah, I I also have that. So over Bedosa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, do you mind if I go first here so that I don't look like the copycat? Yeah, I was yes. it two hour listeners. 
I swear we did not plan this. Uh, we are not copying each other's predictions. Um, we are just no. e- equally we just, bad at predictions, just, and and that is and we just think is. way too similarly when it comes to these draws. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like you see the high number and you're like that one. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's kind of remarkable actually that our predictions have been so similar because um, because with the double UTA, it's um, it's yeah. so difficult to predict, and there are so many different ways it could go. So, um, so I I have said this clay season that Bardi is the favorite to win Roland Garros, and so I think I have to stick with that, even though Sviantec is a really, really, really tempting pick here. Um, like I'll, I'll say as, as sort of a backup, um, if, if both are at their best, I think Sviantec wins, but well, actually, you know, now, now I'm thinking even more because Barty isn't always the best at peaking at majors. She has won Roland Garros before and Sviantec has the confidence of winning it so easily last year. Um, do you want to go first while I think more? <laughs> Yeah, so I did have Bardi as my number one favorite, and I had Sviantec as my number two favorite. But having watched the Madrid match, and also just, I think Sviantec is ready for the first time. I think she's actually, she she is there. Like, all the signs point to me, like, this, like, Philip Chatrier, uh, what she showed us last year, that was special. Like, that's... That was really special, yeah. That, I mean, if she can even replicate 80% of that, and then manage to sustain it and problem solve when she has those up and down games, um, which Madrid is, it's harder to do that with the altitude. It just yeah. makes the, with the inconsistent bad bounces and things like that. She will really relish these conditions. I feel like, yeah, and she's I, embracing the pressure so well, and she's backed up her own girls pretty well for a first time champion. And so, definitely, yeah. And I think and, she will learn a lot from that match. She has a good, really strong team working with her psychologist and also Mike James, who's um, a sports analyst. And she has her on her team and he will really help her with tactics. Yeah. And so I think she will be able to solve Barty, which is very difficult to do. Um, but I think she has she has the game to just overpower her when she's at her very best. So yeah. I will take I will take Sviantec in that match. I will, I will have a Sviantec and Sabalenka final. And I have Sviantec repeating. Wow. She's going to yeah. defend her title. First, first defending champion in a little bit. Um, yes. At, at the majors. Yeah. Since uh, Osaka, right? At um, Wait, has Osaka defended? Yeah. Mm. Um, she hasn't actually defended her title, but she's won the, she's right. gone and won the next hardcore major. Right, right. She's won back to back hardcore majors. Yeah. Who was the last to defend um, a major title at, uh, on the WTA? I, I think I researched this a while ago, but I can't remember. Probably Serena. Okay. At Wimbledon. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so, so if if we think back, there's that stretch of all the different major winners uh, until Osaka. So, so going back, it's been at least since 2016, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember uh, Serena defended her Wimbledon. She won in 2015, and then won Wimbledon again in 2016. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that would be the last. I don't year. think it's happened since. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so four and a half years then. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that's a very good pick. And I think Sviantec is really going to draw a lot of power from Roland Garros conditions. I think it's going to be sort of a Rafa-esque thing. Like, yes, Clay is her mm-hmm. best surface. And yes, Rome plays like Roland Garros. But Roland Garros is where she, she was so dominant. Yeah. And so I think it's, um, I think this is where she's going to find her best tennis. But in, in the interest of sticking with who I said was the number one favorite, 
Um, I think I think Sviantec hasn't been completely convincing against the very best opposition um, th this year. Um, and, and she has had these lapses. Um, and so since she hasn't shown that um, quite that same level of just um, like smooth, insanely good tennis. Yeah, that that's fair. The entire fortnight last year at Roland Garros, I'll pick Barty to come through this one. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I will admit like in doing that, it feels like a lot of um, what's going into my decision is how Sviantec's going to play. Um, so, so like I, even though she's not the favorite, I think it's on her racket. If that makes any sense. Um, no, that makes sense. And I also think um, just also a little side note is also Barty was a little injured in Rome, right? And so yeah, she had yeah, some time true. off, and so you know I'm wondering to see if she's at full tip top hundred percent yet. Yeah, um, I mean I, I'm not too worried so about that. I, I was watching. Obviously, I, I think that was more precautionary. Yeah, she had been else. playing pretty well against golf. That kind of seems to come out of nowhere. And then she said it was like a precautionary measure and she and her mm -hmm. team were pretty confident that, um, that she would be right for Roland Garros. So I'm not worried about her fitness. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll say Bardi to make the final. Um, the Bardi Sabalenka rivalry continues raging through the WTA tour. We get another edition of it. Um, I think that should be a great final. Um, I think that would be their fourth I, meeting already this year. Which yeah, is insane. That, that would just be unbelievable. Um, they're tied at four all and they're head to head. That would be, Awesome. Oh yeah, I mean four all, and then uh, the the Roland Garros final decides who takes the lead. Yeah, I yeah. mean I think it'd be three sets, um, but I think the conditions favor Bardi more, and so I, yeah. I'd say Bardi to win her second Roland Garros title, beating Sabalenka in three in the final. Amazing, yeah. Um, I I already said mine. I have Sviantek winning it. Mm -hmm. um, I'll say like two tight sets against um, Sabalenka. Okay. Yeah. And, and that would be a great final as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that even though a lot of our predictions were similar, we did, um, we did differ, uh, in, in that top section. So, so yeah, let's, uh, yeah. Yep. May the less bad predictions win. That's a wrap. I mean, the, the women's section is going to be incredibly exciting. And yeah. for those I, of our listeners, yeah, um, we will, we will timestamp this. So we'll, we'll, we'll say when we, you know, the, point in the podcast where we finish the soccer discussion and then you can listen to the draws as well we'll have that for our listeners um to make it easier to follow and uh you can follow speaking of following you can follow this all on the Roland Garros app as well as the TNNS app so they they got you covered and you can also find our podcast there and we'll have Andre back soon and the usual you can find all of our information in the description and you can follow us all on Twitter I will also be doing something that uh just for our listeners is during the clay court season, I found it very interesting to go and like make predictions for the next day when we had the order of play and just choose matches and just predict them. And I love just predicting the scores, even though I don't know who's going to serve first. It's just fun for me. I just want to see how right or wrong I am. And so that's fun. That's fun for me to do rather than just doing a whole bracket and filling it out in the beginning. I guess we kind of just did that in the podcast, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, so check that out. And I'm sure Owen will write some fantastic pieces on his blog. So check that out as well. And you can follow all of us. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I will be trying to uh, break through my bad work ethic and write a bunch of pieces. So hopefully I'll have those up for you. And yeah, uh, thanks for listening. So now um, on to the ATP uh, preview, which we are recording in a minute. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.